I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. This is going to sound somewhat perverse, but a little edge is not a bad thing. And uh, you just need to make sure it doesn't just overwhelm and take over how you're doing your work. And so for me, that's kind of how how I feel about um, certain things I'm super confident about because that's the ceiling I just broke down there. And now I'm up to the next one. And you know that's the one I want to be more humble about. Leslie Wu, CEO of Civic Action, is navigating a way forward to own the change needed to transform her city of Toronto, Canada into a place of beauty, fairness, and harmony. She is passionate about giving voice to the underdog and has spent a career helping improve the city in many ways. Her focus has been to advocate for equity-deserving communities, and she's passionate about putting a spotlight on anti-Asian hate crimes through raising awareness. She also developed a website, SheBuildCities.org, to acknowledge the impact women contribute to building and improving urban areas. Leslie tells a story about using humor to shed light on gender differences. In Navigating Politics, Leslie gives advice about identifying influencers and socializing issues before the meeting. There's some great insights and stories in this wonderful podcast with my guest, Leslie Wu. As a guest on Leading She today, I have with me Leslie Wu. Welcome, Leslie. Nice to be here, Susan. Yeah. Leslie is a CEO of Civic Action, an engagement organization which connects people and groups of all sectors and backgrounds. Civic Action takes actions making impactful solutions to address challenges in the greater Toronto and Hamilton areas of Canada. Before joining Civic Action, Leslie was with Metrolinx for over 10 years as the Chief Planning and Development Officer, where she was involved in the planning of one of North America's most aggressive multi-billion dollar city building ventures through public transit expansion. She is founder of SheBuildCities.org, where, Leslie, you say, you practice public policy making, urban and regional planning, and transit-oriented development in an industry where women are underrepresented. Leslie uses her voice and platform to amplify and celebrate other women city builders. Uh, and you say that um, you expose how much women around the world are fundamental in building a hopeful future. Leslie was named BizNow's 2019 Toronto Power Women in Commercial Real Estate and one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women in 2017. Uh, you graduated from University of Waterloo, Canada, and studied architecture. You're a trained architect. So welcome again, Leslie. Thank you, Susan. Good. We have our first guest from outside the U.S., so Leading She has gone international. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Might have to put that in my tagline, you know, yes, promote it. Uh, you have been CEO of Civic Action since September of 2020, last year. So tell us what you do with Civic Action. Um, uh, describe this for someone who might not be um, understand, you know, urban planning and or cities and real estate who might be listening. Yeah. And, you know, Civic Action, first of all, I'm, it's such a privilege to be leading that organization. It's about 18 years old. It's one of these um, organizations that are quite unique. Uh, there aren't too many civic action uh, uh, organizations uh, in Canada in, in the so far as our, our purpose is really around the importance of uh, understanding that uh, urban issues uh, uh, can't be solved by one person, one group, one sector, uh, and that that complexity is best addressed when we uh, co-create together. And so it's got a history of addressing a wide range of um, topics, mental health in the city, uh, greening of buildings, uh, transit, uh, uh, hiring, youth hiring. But more recently, since I've arrived, uh, we have really uh, sort of taken a step back, assessed the situation, which 2020 I know has caused many, many people to assess um, insofar as uh, this uh, 
you know, triple crisis of a pandemic, an economic uh, decline, and this heightened awakening to issues of racism, particularly here in Canada. And so we are now very much focused on what it is that uh, is going to be important for civil society to work towards to catalyze more inclusive cities. And so mm-hmm. when I talk about inclusive cities, it's really social inclusion, economic inclusion, and to use the word spatial inclusion, which is mm-hmm. where the intersection with uh, land development actually happen- happens. And um, we've got a board that is uh, public, private, not-for-profit, um, different, you know, academics, uh, financial services. It, it's quite wide-ranging, and we're very proud mm-hmm. of that, uh, that, that, um, that, that foundation for mm-hmm. us. Yeah, it seems like you would have to coordinate a lot of different uh, city representatives, city groups, and which all might have, you know, different agendas and opinions on this. So it's really about getting collaboration around this this purpose, right? Correct. And I think, Susan, if I would add one more thing, uh, the other, what I call the engine of the organization is this network of emerging leaders. Uh, we have about 2,900, um, you know, I, I don't, I was going to say young, but not all of them are quote unquote young. Uh, there are leaders, rising leaders from, in the, from within their communities who have this remarkable passion and dedication to for change and transformation mm-hmm. to a better city region and so they are they are who i get my lifeblood and energy from frankly yeah it's interesting i'm sure you have a number of those people in your company and i have some of those in my company and they do they do provide energy and perspective on things i think uh, as we veterans you know things we've taken for granted we've had a perspective on things that maybe we need to be open minded to how you know, how things, how things work in a different view. Would you agree? Yes, definitely. Most mm. definitely. Good. Well, we talked about your decision to start shebuildcities.org and a couple of quotes from your website. You say, we don't talk enough about women who are city builders. Leslie uses her voice and platform to amplify and celebrate other women city builders. So talk about shebuildcities.org. Why did you found it? What, what, uh, What's the purpose? What's the mission? So I guess, uh, to in all honesty, that uh, website uh, had very low low ambition when I started. <laughs> to be frank, in many respects, it was a, a, some, a somewhat selfish act. Um, I had been fortunate enough to be uh, receive a fellowship from the International Women's Forum, and we had to do a legacy project. And you know, trying to figure out how do I do something that's going to be fun that converges my issues and 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 is more than just uh, uh, you know, just something uh, on the side of my table. So I created Shebill Cities as one, an opportunity and an excuse to go talk to amazing women around the world uh, because I had this uh, desire to, at uh, that point in my career, wanting to kind of extend my global network. And two, really practically, I just wanted to figure out how to do a website. <laughs> and and I always said when I set out on this journey to do this website, I said, even if like only myself and my mother go on this website, I don't actually it is not going to fuss me because it's going to be like a diary mm-hmm. and it's going to be uh, the stories of, you know, little pithy uh, uh, quotes from amazing women in a collection. And it's been around and it goes in uh, waves uh, in terms of the amount of time I can spend on it uh, because it's just me doing it, but it's come to be a great collection of amazing women who know some some of who people know about and some of who people have never even heard of mm-hmm. and that's the part that I like because I feel that there are so many women uh, um, doing amazing things that for all different reasons that never even get close to the limelight mm-hmm. and it is my life's journey to put spotlights on all those women and all many of the things that I have been doing in, in addition to she built cities mm-hmm. well there's some beautiful um, quotes in there and uh, good language really really great language about about this so really what started out as sort of a project and it's kind of like you know here's I'm going to build a website has has uh, developed into a uh, maybe an area of, to really give credit to women who have been instrumental in urban planning. And these are unsung heroes in a lot of ways. I've been in real estate a long time. I know a lot of women who have focused their career on whether they're architects or they focus on downtown 
lot of unsung heroes in that uh, area. Would you agree? Absolutely. And you know, what's even more frustrating for me is, you know, in the business that I had been in the last decade or more, uh, whenever we were recruiting, because we were a growing organization and we were recruiting talent and looking to find talent. And we had, you know, we paid for executive firms to find us, you know, and I would ask always the question, well, you know, I, I would like to see 50% of who we're considering to be women. And in so many times we draw a blank and I knew for a fact there were women out there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you're not just not trying hard enough. I'm going to go. In fact, I, you know, they all probably owe me a, a whack of commission for all the women that I found <laughs> <laughs> to be hired that they've now added to their Rolodexes. But uh, I think uh, that was frustrating for me. And that kind of pushed me more, not only in the work that I did at She Builds Cities, but also, you know, I found, uh, I was one of the founding um, members for the uh, Toronto Women's Leadership Initiative mm. with uh, Godine Sibé, who is managing partner with McCarthy's Tetro, a law, uh, law firm very much uh, in the infrastructure and transit space. But we, we, we set out this, what at the time, and this was only 2012, I'm not talking ancient history, um, uh, was considered, when we said it, everyone thought it was a massive, hairy, ridiculous goal that we were going to create a champions group of 100 uh, women in the land development industry. And everyone, you know, laughed, you know, literally almost laughed us out of the room. They thought if you got 10, you'd be good. Anyway, it was, it took us like a week at the most to you fill that em. list. Yeah. You got and em. we got, and we celebrated now every year, we, uh, I'll call it induct, uh, you know, about 10 more women every year uh, into that and, and some roll off. But anyway, I, I digress yeah, only to no, say that it, it is, something that uh, for me continues uh, and extends now, even in the work that I'm Mm -hmm. doing at Civic Action. Yeah, we've talked about in this podcast and one of my um, podcasts is entitled entitled, uh, Women Don't Blow Their Horns Enough. Many of us kind of go about our jobs, go about our careers, and we are not looking for girls, you know. And when somebody asks us, do you want to be part of this organization? It's like, sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And then I have a soft spot for the quote unquote underdog. Always. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. <laughs> um, another quote from your website I'll share here. You say, I am navigating a way forward to own the change needed to transform our cities and towns into places of beauty, fairness and harmony. It's beautiful. I mean, how do you feel like you do that? You know, that was I, I, that was my I wrote that. Still, it still holds good. It's pretty good. I actually, um, uh, I wrote that uh, around 2012 or 13, maybe 11, 12, because mm-hmm. it was part of Enter the Fellows Program, trying to articulate what is your mantra? What is your line in the sand? Uh, wh- why, what are you, um, what is important to you? And I realized, so as an architect, I'm trained, I have this in, you know, I'm a very visual person. I, um, I am a huge, I, I appreciate beauty and beautiful things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a career that has recognized and I've seen evidence of when you get a different views and bring people together, the synergy and the power that it creates, you know, whether it was in the development of bringing the development industry together with policymakers and environmentalists on the growth management plan, uh, whether it was being able to bring you know, these, you know, rural, urban and suburban mayors together on the transportation plan. That's the harmony. So there's the beauty and the harmony and and I just and and fairness. So now in this stage of my career at Civic Action, I am in the fairness and equity business. And mm-hmm. so those were three markers I had set out for myself. And uh, I think I continue, they still to continue to hold strong for me. And it was it's always good to have a little beacon uh, to kind of and I've I use that as my beacon. I had a big poster in front of my desk for a long, long time. I've reached the stage now. I'm not sure I could memorize it and say it back to you, but um, uh, all of us need our little uh, props to help us, uh, little, the markers that help us uh, question when things come up and you kind of, I look at it and say, okay, am I, what I'm going about to do or the decision I'm about to make, does it, that is, does it stray what I said I wanted to do? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that statement has always been a little bit of a guidepost for me. Yeah. And and uh, I get that. I do the same thing. You talk about places of beauty, fairness, and harmony. And back in 2011 or 12, beauty might have been way up there. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's your first word. But today, I would say fairness 
right? Is yeah. more yeah. prevalent. Yeah. In terms of where I'm spending my energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that being said, uh, you know, I st- yeah, they never, the three of them never go, none of them ever go away. It's just where I'm leaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They're all there at just different, yeah. uh, different times they come forward. You were born in Trinidad where Correct. you grew up. Uh, talk about, talk about that. Talk about your parents, your siblings, uh, you know, a little about your childhood. Yeah. Trinidad, small island, uh, about a million people. Uh, my family on my mother's side is fifth generation from China. Uh, they literally uh, picked up themselves uh, when they when slavery was abolished. Uh, uh, um, you could become an indentured laborer uh, and work uh, the land for a year and gain property. Hmm. And so on my mother's side, they went to Martinique and Guyana and then to Trinidad. Um, and then on my father's side, his dad uh, came to the Caribbean and to Trinidad uh, during the Cultural Revolution. Hmm. What goes through people's minds to take that journey in the, you know, in that it, it, no airplane, barely a boat, um, you know, the drive to move, um, it's really, it still exists. I mean, why yes. are people leaving certain countries to come to Canada or it, it, it not all of it is, it, it, some of it's economic, it's about opportunity. So, so that's, you know, and so I grew up in that island. Um, there are not many Chinese in Trinidad, uh, very few. Um, and the kind of running joke in our family with my cousins is because my grandmother is, you know, very proud of her Chinese heritage which is so <laughs> ironic because I, she can't speak Chinese. Um, she never could speak Chinese. Uh, she was like, so she would have been third generation. Um, we are really Trinidadian. Mm-hmm. And um, I always, I put that first because what I eat, what I, who I am, um, the fact, you know, I, I talk about my Canadian as my second language because my Trinidad accent is really uh, when I'm tired or I'm with my family, that's, <laughs> that's how I speak. So I grew up there. Um, I was the first of my generation to go to university. Mm. Um, my parents uh, finished high school. My dad uh, was middle management in a, uh, you know, he was in the food processing business. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom and did, uh, before she became a, a mom, she worked in the travel business uh, and uh, continued to do kind of part-time work with that. Mm. But it's a very matriarchal society, right? very strong women. Very strong like women. very, mm-hmm. very, very strong women. And and when you grow up in an island like that, where, you know, on occasion, electricity would go, oh, there's no water or there's a shortage of flour. And you become very, very resourceful and mm-hmm. somewhat nonchalant about crisis. Um, you're always prepared. And, you know, it's little funny things like I'm in, in wherever I am, even to this day, I always have a stash of, you know, rice and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's always canned foods, and I was read, ready for uh, you know 1999 turning to 2000 before anybody else was. Um, that package uh, was always there, and even things like my mother saying, you know, um, uh, if anything happens, you know, the first thing to grab is your passport. So yeah, uh, so I came to Canada, study architecture. Um, that was a big culture shock for me, uh, and it was um, in reflection. Because uh, people use this term now, I didn't realize how much code switching I had to do to um, fit in. Oh, uh, code! You say code switching? Yeah, code switching. So code switching meaning, uh, I think so, some people were, would refer to it as Leslie is very resilient and adaptable and able to situationalize. But in many respects, it was a kind of a suppression of mm, things that, that were natural to me, and I had to acquire new habits and. Uh, understand the Canadian codes of conduct, mm-hmm. which are very different uh, from the Trinidadian codes of conduct. And sure. all through my career, that's been something uh, I, I definitely have become very adept at. And now in reflection, uh, a little sad, uh, some things that I kind of uh, had to suppress, you know, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's how I dress, how I talk, um, sure. things like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned something that I think it is profound, and I'm sure it had some impact on you, and that is, you know, when people leave where they are to come to a place they know very little about uh, on the hope that it will be better than their previous life, you know, that takes a lot of courage. I mean, just an incredible amount of courage. I've interviewed some immigrants uh, in Mm -hmm. this podcast where 
um, their, to survive, to make a better life for their families, they did that, you know. And I would think that would have, along with the strong mother and the strong grandmother, would have influenced how you grew up and, and who you are today. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't, you know, in, as I was going through it, I didn't see it as survival or hmm. it was just you had to do it. Right. You know, I, you know, the second week I was up here in Canada, I phoned my mom in tears saying, I can't do this. They don't understand me. I, I don't know. It's too cold, everything. And she says, I've already paid for it. You're done. You're there. I'll see you in the summer. Yeah. And it was like, okay, well, I guess I'm here. I better figure it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had the same experience going to college. My, I still remember my mom sent me a letter and she said, life is not a bowl of cherries. Stick it out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Tough love. Uh, yeah. That's right. Um, Canada is in lockdown right now, and you and your staff are working from home. Um, talk about COVID-19, this virus. It's uh, uh, first, uh, second quarter, actually, of 2021, and COVID has affected cities, downtowns, uh, pretty drastically um, today. I mean, how are you seeing cities in Toronto, and how do you think they're going to recover? That's a good question. And, you know, Susan, I would say it's uneven. Uh, all, everybody's, what's the saying? We're all in the storm, but everybody's got, some people are in a boat and some are wearing a life jacket. And so I think I consider myself, I think that my team, very, very fortunate. I mean, we've been able to work from home. Uh, we've been able to be fairly productive. I mean, we've moved everything online. We do a lot of engagement and meetings and it's all relationship uh, based, our work. And that hasn't really dramatically, it hasn't dramatically disabled our ability to do our work. Um, others in in the city, uh, in Toronto in particular, you know, it's a bit of a, I live right downtown, it's a little bit of a ghost town. Mm. Um, and, and folks aren't back to work. Uh, right now, uh, retail stores are not open. Uh, you can mm. do curbside only. Um, so it's very, it, 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 what has been impacted is people's way of life. And, mm. um, and uh, the importance and uh, heightened importance of local. Uh, a lot of my staff, you know, we had one staff person who um, at the time of the lockdown went out to British Columbia in the West Coast and she was working from there. And you wouldn't have, I mean, we, we were unimpacted by that geography. So uh, I think uh, what's uh, been the big change has mm -hmm. been around um, people assessing uh, the value, their own values, the, their quality of life, uh, their family, their friends, or, you know, friends that they, th those pieces, and those are the things that people are missing. And so uh, I think, uh, as we think about how we're going to build back better, quote, unquote, and what is that going to look like? Mm -hmm. I think, um, well, we could easily go back to the way things were, without a doubt, our, our reflex muscles to kind of just do what we did before mm -hmm. is there, but I think we do that at our peril. Uh, mm. Just even from uh, thinking about how we're going to work, we're going to go back to a hybrid model in the workplace. Yeah. We're not going to go back. In fact, you know, we're actually thinking we're, we're up for our, our uh, office space to be, uh, the lease is up and we're trying to, we're actually reconsidering how much space we need and what kind of space yeah. we need uh, that is going to be different. Mm -hmm. um, I think on a big on the bigger picture about what is it we're going to need to um, get through this on a better footing. Um, we are very much focused on um, to the point of equity issues, uh, raising uh, the voice of um, equity-deserving communities and making sure that investments in stimulus money and, and uh, how we go forward, that uh, there is a, a, there's adequate understanding that um, uh, the, the chasm that was there that has been created and widened through the pandemic uh, was there before. And it's going to be even tougher to bridge it. And we, from a prosperity standpoint, from a quality of life, all those things, it's going to be important. So we're going to be talking to that a lot, to mm -hmm. um, uh, elected leaders, to uh, private sector uh, corporations and CEOs and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then the second piece is around the importance of uh, what, we've what we've seen through the pandemic is really the, the flaws in all our systems, the healthcare system, the education system, yes. everything has just been exposed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we think about the work we do, we are going to focus really on the next generation of leadership 
in all these sectors and, and their ability to make the change. Because I, I've sort, I, I shouldn't say I've given up on what's already there, but I just feel that uh, they are one of the, our greatest um, uh, places of hope for this country mm-hmm. and for this city. And uh, when I meet with them and their ambition, their perspective is, and their values, mm-hmm. which are very different. Uh, than ours, and I, I have kids in the, in in their twenties, and I know their values are different. Yeah, I do um, too. And mm-hmm. I yeah, and I see that uh, they want a different way forward. Mm-hmm. So we are doing in our work here uh, a lot of that to nurture those leaders. Yeah, uh, I see it too. And of course, they have a lot of runway left in their careers, uh, but they're enthusiastic and energetic and positive. And a lot of you know, generally speaking, um, they just have really, you know, really um, equality kind of views and how can we get this done? And I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm enthused about the emerging leaders. Definitely. Um, we talked a little about politics. Um, mm-hmm. what, what is some advice or, that you could give to our listeners about navigating politics uh, within their organizations and their careers? You've worked in public and private sectors. Uh, what would you say about politics and how you've used it and how you've navigated things with politics? That's a great question, Susan. And I know when I saw this question, uh, because I worked for a mayor and a minister um, of infrastructure, uh, when I saw the question, I thought it was like big P politics, like how do you navigate that? But then as we as we think about yeah. the workplace and the small P politics about the workplace, in many respects, it's not too different in yeah. terms of what the kind of advice I would, uh, or, 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 you know, insights I would give, you know, first of all, um, uh, you know, it's really important to, in any organization, understanding how decisions are made and how things are governed. And it, that's key to navigating the politics, you know, who, who's, who's the, who are people of influence, who are, uh, people who have power by position or title, um, Learning about that, which you do through meeting people, getting to know, asking questions, understanding that landscape is really important because if you're in a in an organization, you're trying to you have an agenda in terms of a project or anything that you're pushing forward and you need uh, the consent of many, uh, which is more or less how everything works these days. There are many people that have to play into it. Mm-hmm. Um the politics that happens is the politics that's not in the decision-making room. It's all the conversations you want to have with others uh, before you get in to make your big presentation. It's it's the people you need to socialize um, uh, your 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 information, your facts, your data, your credibility. Not in that one moment in the room. It's everything that you're doing before uh, on an ongoing basis, and all the conversation you have conversations you have to prep before going going in. I mean, no city council, no cabinet decision gets made on the spot without any other conversation. So I think that just always remember that the most perfect presentation is not about the moment that you make the presentation. It's everything that went into making that presentation, the people that you, uh, that, that the people that need to see themselves in your, in the work, mm-hmm. uh, you understand what they're looking for. And I think that is, is a really important piece. Um, yeah, let's, and, let's talk a little about that because it's an important one. And I've made the mistake of going into meetings thinking everybody agrees with me and we're all on the same page. But what I didn't do is what you're talking about, socialize the issue before the meeting, have kind of before the meeting, make sure you talk to each person, see what that person has. Is any objections? Uh, are they allies? Um, and then before, when you get into the meeting, you kind of know where everybody stands. So you're prepared. It's a strategy, right? Correct. And for even those people who you know aren't going to be on, going to be on side, if you articulate I know that so-and-so has concerns about X, and I think we'll, we'll work that through this way or that way. You've already kind of uh, tempered the, mm-hmm. the, the level of, of um, uh, I was going to say conflict or, or opposition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, um, you talk about making sure and you know who the influencers are, that not everybody around a table has the same amount of clout and power, that some people will speak up more, some people have a little more rank. And uh, 
You want to make sure you've got those people on board, or at least you know where their objections are, and you can you can address those before or during the meeting. Yeah. And, and just a quick note on influencers. I mean, a, a great test to find out who the influencers are is when you're chatting with folks or, or, or talking about it in any meetings and someone says, did you ask so-and-so? If you see, if, if, they, if that happens repeatedly, you better go ask so-and-so because <laughs> they are the influencer because everybody's looking to them right. to know what their opinion is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You uh, had said that uh, you told me that you believe that our differences uh, as women with gender or with race can be used as a career strategic advantage. How talk about that? How would you see that? There's two parts to that that question and that issue. First of all, yes, you can use it at a, as a career advantage, but it ha- it's it's limited. It's limited insofar as if you are in a room or you're in an organization where the leadership itself does not value that difference, whether it's race, gender, sexual orientation, and they don't see that as a unique superpower that is a contributor or additive to the organization, just being there as a checkbox is the only, I mean, it has an advantage because now you're at a table, but that makes it, it doesn't mean that you will be included. So you're representing, but you're not in being included. And I, so I think it has limitations. It gets your, gets your foot in the door, um, which is uh, step one. Um, the second thing that I think um, uh, I always caution about thinking about this as a strategic advantage, only because um, it can, it's, a, it's a, an advantage or a quote-unquote power that can be abused. Um, so, you know, I early in my career recognized, I didn't recognize actually that my gender and my race was actually something that had some power or some uh, lever. Uh, it wasn't until, um, uh, I was in a sticky spot, uh, in, in, a at, at a workplace and someone said, well, you should just pull the race and gender card and, uh, you know, you'll be well on your way. And it just, that's wrong. Yes, I just, it's I just wrong. Yeah, it is. It's just wrong. And so uh, there's two sides to that coin. I think um, uh, that we need, uh, everyone should really recognize that it can be uh, very much a positive thing in its, uh, but limited in depending on the conditions, but also um, uh, can be, ab- it, it's, it's something that can be abused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not many people abuse it. You know, I, I've not seen that a lot. Uh, it is possible to do it, but it makes it tough for the rest of us who are just trying to, you know, do a good job. We happen to be women. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, you are of uh, a different race. And so to, to use that as uh, somehow, how, you know, as leverage to gain advantage, you yeah, know, makes it, you know, it, it would be, it makes us it tough for the rest of us, you know, when people yeah. do that, you know. So, yeah, but um, I agree that, uh, you know, you talk about diversity. Yes, we've checked a box. We have a woman here in the room versus truly including her in the conversation, truly appreciating her uniqueness as a woman and uh, her superpower as that. What do you think, Susan? What do you think, Leslie? You know, it's, you know, sometimes we're shut down that, yeah, we're there. They've got a woman, you know, in the room. but. very different sometimes with diversity versus inclusion. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, it requires champions alongside. Yeah. Men and women. Yes. Yes. You talk about how you were raised with uh, money around money and it was not comfortable for you to ask for a raise at one point in your career. And it was a turning point for you when you did talk about, talk about that story. Yeah. I mean, it's always, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, I think uh, all through my career, you know, as I always used to say, I followed my heart. I did the thing that I was most passionate about. And uh, constantly saying, uh, first of all, believing in a meritocracy, uh, which was kind of a bit of a false thing to begin with. But um, uh, I think that um, all through my career, my earlier mid-career, I always felt that I work hard. I do good work. They tell me I do good work. They tell me I do excellent work and I will be rewarded Right. Uh, it's sort of, maybe it's, it's my, you know, uh, it's the same way else someone says, you'll be rewarded. You'll get to heaven. Um, <laughs> uh, I believe, <laughs> I believed them, the them, 
Uh, and it wasn't until, you know, I was working with uh, one of my mentors, I was going through a bit of a turning point. Um, I was watching all around me uh, at the executive table, because uh, in the public sector, salaries are, are made public, they're mm-hmm. published. And, and um, you know, I, I was always, well, you know, I'm the planner, I'm not the finance person, so I probably shouldn't make as much as the finance person. And I started making all these excuses for myself. Mm-hmm. And then I did the research. Well, what is the equivalent person in Toronto or Mississauga or this other agency making? And I started gathering my data. And then it was, and, and you know, and I literally put together a memo. It was my annual review. I put together this memo, uh, you know, because I'm a policy wonk. I got all the data points, um, and I'm and I and I and I and I, you know, weeks of tra- thrashing myself and making, and, case, right. and making the case and pre- preparing the speech about how I'm going to say. I go in, I say to the CEO, "Well, I, you know, you know, he's, you know, he goes on about how what a fabulous year it was, and I was so terrific." And and I'm going, "Well, yes," and I do want to talk about, you know, I'm like. Do you want to talk about my compensation? I hand over the memo. I, I go through it. And he just says, yeah, okay. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Not even like, uh, let me think about it. Said, no, okay. because he knew. Yeah. Right? He knew. He was waiting he for you to ask. Yeah. He knew I was not uh, being paid at market. Why would he, you know, and I was seemed happy. Right. Right. I didn't once complain about it. Because right. I thought uh, I'm not a complainer, right? So, um, I, I it so the revelation is ask for it, right? Ask like, for it. Just ask for it. It's my greatest advice to my daughter now. So don't wait. Just ask for it. Just ask for <laughs> it, right? And uh, I think sometimes women uh, stereotypically uh, have trouble asking or, uh, for for money. I have one person I interviewed who said. She's given plenty of offers to young professionals over time, and many women, many men. Not one woman asked for anything other than what was in the offer letter. Men, almost without exception, would ask, I want more money, I want this benefit, I want health insurance for my family, whatever it was. So we're not really socialized to do it, um, but it, you know, he, you know, your boss at that time had a budget and he's like, yeah, we're, you know, got a good deal with Leslie, you know, that he's not going to come to you uh, probably and say, you know, you've done such a great job. We're going to give you this huge increase, this huge promotion. It, you really do have to ask for it. Yeah. And, you know, as a result now um, uh, for the women in my, anytime in any of those public agencies that are, I, for, for the women that I know, I will phone them up. Yeah. And if I see they're making less, I said, you need to ask for more. <laughs> and, and they're like, well, I don't know. And I go, no, no, I'll help you. Yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> um, let's, let's talk about confidence. Uh, sometimes uh, we have an inner glass ceiling where we're not uh, always, you know, maybe affirmed in the workplace and um, really appreciated necessarily. Did you ever struggle with confidence? And what would you say? to the listeners about confidence and uh, what you've learned in your career? So I'd say, Susan, I su- struggle with confidence every day. Yeah. Um, I think if I, if I was not an ambitious um, person wanting to do more, wanting to have more impact, the first grass- glass ceiling would have been it. I would have broken that first one, but I keep uh, raising the bar for myself. And so, um, you know, I keep, sort of taking on bigger challenges and which means there's just another ceiling and another ceiling Mm -hmm. and another ceiling. So constantly uh, doing this kind of internal battle with myself about, uh, you know, am I good enough? I'm not, you know, I've never done this before. And uh, so, and, and, you know, I have lots of different ways to kind of mitigate my fears and my lack of confidence in space, but it's a, it's a healthy a little bit, I'll call it a little bit of a healthy internal tension to have. You just don't want it to get the better of you, but it's a good, it creates a little bit of fear. Uh, this is going to sound per, somewhat perverse, but a little edge is not a bad thing. And uh, you just need to make sure it doesn't just overwhelm and take over mm-hmm. how you're doing your work. And so for me, that's kind of how how I feel about um, certain things I'm super confident about because that's the ceiling I just broke down there. And now I'm up to the next one. And, you know, that's the one I want to be more humble about. <laughs> yeah, it gets it gets better over time. I, I think as young people, we're not experienced. We feel inferior often to the people around us who seem to have more knowledge and experience. And so it can be pretty intimidating. 
And it's hard yeah. to have confidence in that setting when you don't feel as experienced or knowledgeable as the people around you. You know, I've, I have the reverse confidence issue now because hmm. I work with so many young people. I, I'm always afraid I'm out of touch. <laughs> like, I'm always afraid I don't know the coolest thing that's happening. I didn't read the, the whatever TikTok thing I didn't see what so that's my lack of confidence now because I'm I'm surrounded by 20 somethings yes and um I'm uh, you know uh, so I end up reading and looking at movies and doing things that I would never have even thought were important to me but but I do yeah that's how we stay open-minded and fresh right we we listen to our (laughs) uh to our millennials to kind of teach us where we need to go but uh gotta stay open to it otherwise we get stale right yeah yeah Um, You uh, retweeted something on your Twitter account, and the headline was, um, we all must work to end the rise of anti-Asian hate. And your tweet said, as organizations and as individuals, we can, should, and must do more. We must work together to make the invisible visible. Anti-Asian racism has existed in Canada for several generations. Maybe you can help you know, the listeners understand what's going on in your country and the U.S. around anti-Asian hatred and what what do our countries need to do? What do citizens need to do uh, to to help in this area? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, when the incident happened, uh, was it that a couple of weeks ago now? Um, you know, a lot of people uh, were reacting to it, and I was actually just struggling to process it and what it meant for me, given my kind of intersectional, identi- intersectional identity, mm-hmm. given the fact that Canada has never, uh, so, you know, talked about racism in general, because we are the model country, uh, Asians are the model um, minority, and so I, I think Our country, Canada, and the city is trying to come to terms with what is what it what you know what is in the same way that uh, for anti-black racism, Canada itself is trying to come to terms with it because uh, it's it's a lot more I will call it overt in the in the U.S. Mm -hmm. In Canada, uh, we have prided ourselves in diversity is our strength. We are welcoming to all nations. We have broad immigration policies. Uh, but we have sort of suppressed uh, the kind of racism, uh, well, for Indigenous people, uh, primarily, you know, first of all, uh, for, uh, um, you know, Black Canadians have been in this country for generations mm-hmm. and been oppressed. Uh, and, and and we talk, and, you know, we, we the Chinese built the railway, we, you know, Japanese internment, all those kinds of things have happened in this country. And our history books and our education have not talked about this this is like it's it's invisible Mm. and so i think that the thing that is happening right now in canada and in toronto specific to anti-asian hate is uh the increase in reports of things that were always happening uh we're seeing that uh a call for uh us to you know uh, rewrite the history that is the truth about what has had happened so that we learn and more aware Mm -hmm. and then new it's not new. Right. It's, it's, it's just it's, becoming, it, we put a spotlight on it. And it sounds like there, we've seen the incidents here in the U.S. Are you citing a specific yeah, incident we've seen, in Canada? And particularly in the pandemic. And and um, we've seen a rise uh, linked to this notion of the Chinese flu or whatever flu okay. that it was called. Yeah. I mean, that has happened here too. Mm. Um, but it's, a compli- it's, it's, it's very complicated because we're also missing a lot of data to be frank. Mm-hmm. And that's another gap for us. We don't have a lot of race-based data in Canada. And uh, that's a big push right now to have a better understanding of the scale of the problems. Are you doing this in your organization, Civic Action? Yeah, we are actually, in, we're, we're, we're now trying to figure out um, how we can act Mm-hmm. to uh, on this front and what it is we sh- a lot of people are doing a lot of uh, organizations Asian organizations are leading a lot of municipalities are doing work but in our capacity as a not-for-profit we're trying to figure out what is the best action for us is it advocacy is it awareness um, uh, we usually start uh, with the fact base can we get more information so we know what we're talking about and then um, trying to elevate the discourse will be in, in the first instance, what we do raise the awareness because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's a lot of denial. There's the, there are people who don't actually think there is any, is any right, such there's thing. There's no problem it's, here. Yeah. 
Well, I wish you luck there. And, and uh, yeah, success. Yeah, it's a journey. For sure. You and I share this. Um, I have often used humor in my career to lighten up a situation or use kind of one-liner humor, one-liners to as as retorts. Uh, how have you used humor in your career and how has it benefited you or maybe... There's been backlash. I don't know. I would talk about humor. Yeah. Well, you know, I come from a culture that is uh, all about making fun, having fun, um, talking about fun. So um, and and I am in a culture, Canadian culture that is, you know, polite, reserved. Um, So I've used humor very. um, So I, I first need to know people's uh, tolerance of my humor, <laughs> if I can call it that. And I test that out. Uh, Sometimes in, we indiv- find out the hard way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I test that out uh, on individuals in relationship, in, in kind of exchanges. And I get a sense of who really, first of all, has a sense of humor or will <laughs> even get it. Uh, and those, and then I also, because I'm, of course, I'm not the only one who uses humor. I always try to observe what is different people's threshold or, you know, you know, does the C, you know, what is the CEO's breaking point where it's no longer funny and you're just being trivial and trying to read that before launching into it. Cause I've been in meetings where someone, you know, and I think it's a funny joke and they're cracking it just to break the tension and the CEO will go, okay, that's, you know, we need to be serious. Yeah, and it's like, that. okay, yeah. that, that, that yeah. failed. Um, so I think it's a gauge. You kind of have to read the room yes. really well and um, yeah, uh, and and everybody, you know, uh, everybody has a different style. Yeah, uh, they do. Mine and is I, a bit. Ja- I have jabbing humor. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, which uh, you have to be careful how you use that. You do. Somebody in the <laughs> podcast said that uh, she no longer teases people. You know, and I've had a habit over time, in a crowd, in a meeting, perhaps teasing someone about something. You know, about how much coffee they drink or how much. You know, they work out on the weekends or whatever it is. And that can be, uh, we may be wanting to be funny or call that person out over something humorous about them, but it can be hurtful teasing. Yeah. And I guess it's, you know, not only it's the person that you're kind of, if you're making, if it's a joke with someone, it's, it's you know, how broad an audience uh, do you want to witness that humor uh, yeah. before it becomes hurtful? Hurtful. And, uh, you know, yeah. you have an audience. Because there's private and, jokes, right? We have so, private jokes yeah. that we have between people and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, not every uh, private joke should be shared with a group of 12. No, that's that's true. Yeah, definitely not. So, yeah, I've used it. It can be it can be helpful in your career, especially there can be retorts around, you know, if there's a, a bias going on. Um, sometimes you can use humor to put a spotlight on it without, you know, without being confrontational, you know, to others. Can I give you an example yes, of that, Susan? Please, so, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I worked in the transit and transportation industry for a long time. And it, guess what? It's very male dominated. And ev- there was a period, uh, a couple months where if I went into a meeting uh, that I was part of and the room was only men when I went in, I would stop before I sat down and take a picture. <laughs> I would take and they would all like, why are you taking a picture? I said, have you seen yourselves? And I would share the picture and, and everybody was like, oh yeah, I guess. Okay. I get it. <laughs> and I started to do that. It was, and, and then I stopped. I mean, I did, you can't do that forever, but uh, people, it, they, it was, it, they found it on, it was provocative, but funny at the same time. Cause they yeah. could, they could together laugh at themselves or we could mm-hmm. laugh at ourselves. Right. Right. Yeah. But it, uh, it kind of brings up something that they need to maybe look at and uh, you've done it in a humorous way. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, last question and we'll wrap up. Um, you have some uh, hobbies, it uh, sounds like, in my research. Uh, you are a bike touring cyclist and uh, you enjoy music and art. Talk about your hobbies and how important they are to you. Uh, they're life-saving um, on so many fronts. Um, and I never have enough time for, and I have too many, by the way. Mm. I just, you know, I, I collect them like like uh, like uh, shoes. Um, so 
so, but to the core, I, I've kind of tried to figure this out. I do, so I, I have this one year annual uh, multi-day cycling event, which becomes like a goal for me. So I can over the year kind of get ready for it. Um, and it's just enough for me. I'm, I, I have some friends who are what I would call go hard yeah. cyclists. I can't go there. And, and it is, uh, I remember the first time I did a really like long one day cycling ride where basically you can't pick up a cell phone. You're very focused on the road because you don't want to hit a bump, fall on the side. Um, and it's just the wind in your hair and you're going fast. And I always used to say, I love this better than running. I could never run this fast and feel the wind in my hair. Uh, you're, you're just thinking of nothing. Like you, it's like, I guess that's what if you practice yoga, which I'm terrible at, when they say empty your mind. That's what it is. It's, yeah. it's the mind emptying stuff. It's kind of like, like I have a couple other activities that you're going to laugh at that I love doing that are the same mind emptying. I love weeding grass, like plucking weeds out of grass. It's mm. like the most bizarre thing. My mother does the same because it's productive and mind numbing at the same time. Right. I you can do see progress, like a, right? You can see yeah, um, no weeds. Painting. Left. I do watercolor mm. uh, painting. And lately, just to, to go to the mindless part, um, I, I bought a couple paint by numbers. My kids were laughing at me. <laughs> they said, Why? I said, well, I love painting, but I just don't have time. And if I do the paint by numbers, it's, it's like I don't even have to think about it. Mm -hmm. I just put it, fill in the lines and, I'm, and sure. I feel good about it. So I, I, I try to do things that are to, to the, you know, and, you know, even listening to music, I play the guitar and just mm -hmm. kind of mindless. I, I, I yeah. shouldn't call it mindless. It just, it's well, it gets away emptying. from the thinking. I mean, what our jobs are so pressure filled. We're listening all day. We're thinking, we're talking, we're reading, you know, and it's just, it's just nice to get away. And I, I agree with the, the uh, biking. I, uh, I mean, some of the most carefree childhood memories I have was me on my bike with my friends, you know, going somewhere, you know, and when I get on a bike now, I just go right back there. It's very, very yeah. relaxing. Yeah, and there, you, you know, there's not many decisions to make when you're yeah. doing those things. I, every day at work, it's like a thousand decisions, right? right? It's just your decision, your, your decision free. All right, just don't hit that rock, you know. That's, that's <laughs> simple decisions. Yeah, it's that's pretty, right. pretty easy stuff. So, well, Leslie, thanks for joining me today. It's been great hosting you on Leading She. Wonderful. It's a great to, to chat. And congratulations for doing such an amazing job with Leading oh, She. Thank Tremendous. you. Thank you. Well, listen in. Tell your friends. Will do for sure. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leading She. Please check out many other Leading She episodes, which are wonderful. We discuss challenges these accomplished women have overcome in their careers. Please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it. Follow Leading She on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have ideas and wisdom for women leaders.